0: Too often, Black women are
1: a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well Sis podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cassandra Dunbar. How has life been treating you, but more importantly, how have you been treating yourself? Me, I've been well. I missed this past Feel Good Friday's episode because it was my birthday. And I honestly had every single intention of recording an episode that day, but my husband surprised me with a hair spa appointment. And I was just so relaxed afterwards that I just chilled up for the rest of the day. Oh, let me tell you about the hair spa it was magical. It was literally a 90-minute appointment dedicated just to my scalp. (laughs) She started by using a camera device that projected onto a screen to take a look at my scalp. And she actually taught me a ton about my actual scalp health and what to keep doing and what not to do. And then after that, she took me to, to the back, which had a traditional salon sink, and washed my hair. And then she led me to the treatment room where, baby, I was reborn. (laughs) Um, So let me tell you about it. In the treatment room, she has like a standard spa treatment bed. But at the top of it, there's a shampoo bowl. So for the rest of the time, I was lying down with an essential oil eye mask on. And then she went to town massaging my scalp and oh my goodness, between the sound of the running water and the different tools for treatment and the different like potions that she put on my scalp and the massage and the steam, it was the most beautiful experience ever. I'm literally salivating as I say this because it was just so good. I honestly don't recall ever being so relaxed in my life and I just walked out of there with my scalp feeling amazing and just so pampered. So I still have to say, my bad, y'all. I had every intention of showing up, but your girl was feeling good. So I just started to ride that wave (laughs) and enjoy myself before the kids came home. So feel good Fridays. We'll be back this Friday. So today is World Mental Health Day. And while we have collectively made so much progress in being open about these things, we still have so, so far to go. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, Mental Health America, as well as the National Alliance of Mental Illness um, and the Centers for Disease Control, I have gathered some data. One in five Americans suffer from mental illness. Almost 6 in 10 people with mental illnesses get no treatment or medication. More than 40,000 Americans die annually from suicide, which is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. It is the second leading cause of death for ages 44 and under, and the fifth leading cause of death for ages 45 to 54. For every woman who dies by suicide, four men die by suicide and women are three times more likely to attempt. Anxiety disorders are the highest reported mental health issue in the U.S., with 42.5 million Americans suffering from this illness, and women experience depression at roughly twice the rate of men. So that is some food for thought. And this year's theme of World Mental Health Day is Mental health is a human right, And while that is absolutely true, the majority of listeners are probably tuning in from the United States where, well, you already know. Access to health care, let alone mental health care, is not a given. Many have to pay out of their own pockets for mental health care. And because marginalized folks are often most impacted, which that includes Black and Brown, LGBTQIA plus people, um, are often the ones getting the even shorter end of a already short stick. But there are amazing organizations who are doing God's work by offering free or low-cost mental health services for marginalized people, one of which is the Loveland Foundation's Loveland's Therapy Fund, which provides financial assistance to Black women and girls seeking therapy nationally. I also stumbled upon... Charlene's McFarlane Therapy Assistance Program, which is by the Black Girls Smile Program, and which aims to alleviate the financial burden of seeking therapy for young Black women and girls. So these are just two to name a few, but there are countless others that help to alleviate the financial burden of getting help. So this actually all ties perfectly into today's conversation, with Priscilla Aijeman, the beautiful mind behind Sadie Baddies. Sadie Baddies was created in 2019 by Priscilla, who is a creative entrepreneur, thought leader, and mental health activist. She noticed that there was a gap in the digital discourse, primarily Black, Latinx, Asian, Indigenous, and multiracial people, so she decided that there was an opportunity for change. Through carefully curated visual content and evidence-based topics, Sadi Baddies is challenging a shift in mental health discourse worldwide. So if you aren't sure what a Sadi Baddie is, it is a gender-inclusive phrase they created to describe anyone who internally, who struggles internally with their mental and emotional health, but may not come across as so because of how well they carry their load. A Sadi Baddie can be your strongest friend, the person that never asks for help or the unassuming loved one who silently battles feelings of depression, anxiety, and or any other mental health issues. Essentially, they're a baddie who's a little sad too. I, too, am a saddie baddie. <laughs> so um, before we hop into today's conversation with Priscilla, which was just so dope, I you'll, you'll, you'll hear it for yourself. You'll hear it for yourself. Uh, before we hop into the conversation, just to remind you. That if you have not left us a rating or a review, or signed up for our newsletter, and especially signed up for our book club and our trip to Cartagena, Colombia, please do so. The links are down below in the show notes. So sign up. Let's stay tapped in. Of course, not gonna remind you guys again. It is my birthday month, October. I'm celebrating it all year, all month long. I should do all year round, but all month long, I'm celebrating my birthday. And all I ask for you is your support by leaving a rating or review on whatever platform you listen on. If you've already done those things and you're already signed signed up for the newsletter as well, and you really want to be like, you know what? I really rock with you and I really rock with Be Well Sis. I too, am part of the tribe. Follow us on social media. We are at on Instagram primarily, which is at bewell underscore podcast. Tap in. Let's 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 engage with each other. Let's just really lock in. <laughs> um, so as always, thank you so, so much for joining. I am so so glad you're here. Be well sis. All right. So today I have Priscilla Adjiman on with us. She is the founder of Saddie Baddies, um, as well as the host of the Soft Life by Saddie Baddies. Am I saying that properly? The Soft Life podcast. Yeah. With Saddie Baddies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I was just telling you behind the scenes that I have been following you, um, your Your platform for a while, and I'm so lucky that I get to actually speak to the woman behind the brand and just learn a little bit about you. Um, So before we even do all that, how are you doing today?
2: Thank you for that warm welcome and intro. I'm doing well today. It's Friday. I feel good. I'm you know trying to ease into the weekend with grace um, Mm -hmm. and as much ease as I can. But I'm feeling good. It's been a busy month. Mm -hmm. Um, You know I. I'm just looking forward to kind of resetting those routines mm-hmm. and um, habits for the rest of the the year. So yeah, yeah thank you for was, having
1: me. Thank you for being here. I was just listening to your most recent podcast episode talking about routines, especially as we're easing into the fall. Um, and one thing that really stuck out to me, I felt like you were attacking me a little bit. You're like, you know, the <laughs> way you start your day really lets, like the day know what's your priority and I'm just like oh yeah so true because I get up and I go I don't do anything to like ease into the day I don't have a routine for myself
2: yeah yeah I
1: either wake up or I'm woken up by the kids and like it's go 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 by yeah yeah so that was some good food for thought but before we even get into all of that um talk to me about what inspired you to create this platform, which is super dope, super amazing. Of course, I will link everything in the show notes. If you are not following, you absolutely should be and listening to our podcast as well. But yes, (laughs) what is the journey event and what inspired this?
2: Yes. So Sadie Baddies started as a passion project of mine. I was, as I say, I was solving an internal problem externally. Mm-hmm. So I was solving the internal problem I had with me stigmatizing my own mental health
0: mm-hmm. challenges
2: and struggles by finding community and creating a safe space for other people to talk about it. And when I started Sadie Baddies in 2019, To be honest, there was not a lot of platforms that were focusing specifically on Black women and people of color and just diverse minorities, uh, diverse groups and minority communities that really highlighted the very specific mental health issues that we go through. So, you know, that's generational trauma, uh, microaggressions, dealing with race, racism, racial trauma is literally in the DSM five, which is, you know, considered a traumatic response to racism. And so what we did was we created this virtual community online, starting with just educational topics, talking about the heavy stuff, like let's actually talk about suicide, let's talk about self-harm, you know, bipolar disorder, all of the, you know, I would say less approachable topics when it comes to mental health. We started talking about that on online almost five years ago. So Mm -hmm. now it's created a ripple effect, which I'm so happy and proud of. And, you know, we've created other ways for community to be connected to us beyond, you know, the four walls, the four virtual walls of Instagram, Yes, (laughs) I should say, you know, so that's why we started the the podcast, The Soft Life, to expand and really dive deeper into those topics. We have platforms on multiple, um, you know, apps and online spaces such as Geneva, TikTok, YouTube, et cetera. But our bread and butter right now really is our podcast and the in-person events that we have here based in New York um, and we're hoping to go on tour very soon so that we can visit the baddies in other cities because they're like, when are you going to come to L.A.? When are you going to come to Toronto? <laughs> when are you going to come to Atlanta? And I'm like, OK, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. So, yes. yeah.
1: Oh, that is that is super dope. Um, one thing yeah. that really just stuck out to me was um, how you stigmatize your own mental illness. And I don't think that we talk about that. And I didn't realize, as you said, it made me think about my own journey. And I think even before sharing with other people, like within my own family, um, Mm -hmm. I absolutely did stigmatize myself. And that is, that is profound. That is like food for me to think about, about the ways that I have stigmatized myself. So for those who may not even understand what that means, like, what does it mean to stigmatize yourself or your own, whatever you're you're dealing with?
2: Yeah. So there's actually three different types of stigma. So there's the self stigma, which is what I was doing. I was creating a narrative based on my own limiting beliefs about what When and where I would deserve help, you know, somebody like myself, who's first generation American, um, my parents are from Ghana, you know, and we were not taught about mental health growing up in, in a very specific, you know, framework and I kind of had to learn on my own that I was struggling with my mental health I just thought I was a nervous wreck I thought I was just oh like I'm too much of a perfectionist like that was something that was that label was given to me very young actually of me being a perfectionist and and wanting to have everything be perfect and what I realized is that I was actually struggling with anxiety for a very long time. It just went unnoticed and unnamed. Mm-hmm. So that stigma came from me, first of all, not having the language and the information. And that's why sadie Bodies, one of our core values is creating um, dialogue and discourse about mental health, because yeah. when we can name our feelings, it makes it so much easier to actualize what we're going through and express ourselves and then also ask for help and resources so that's the self-stigma then there's also stigma within a social parameter so you have you know the stigma that comes from your family members your friends especially if it's culturally based so that is another form of stigma you know being first-gen american Thankfully, my parents were when I actually did open up about my mental health struggles, they were really supportive and they wanted Mm -hmm. me to get help. And so Mm -hmm. they encouraged me to, you know, um, when I eventually did tell them that I was going to therapy, they were like, oh, that's great. You know, they didn't really know. They're like, what are you talking about in therapy? But I'm just like, "Eh," like, (laughs) <laughs> that's the whole point is that I can go to a therapist and confide in them, you know. Um, but yeah, that's that's the second layer of stigma, which can come from, you know, your community, unfortunately, or, um, you know, family friends. And then, of course, as a society, um we have really pigeonholed black women into being strong yeah. all the time. I don't know any other, ethnic group that is constantly labeled as being strong and um, having to be strong and having to like save the day, save the family, save the company, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We're given this cape at birth of being superwoman, yep. even if we don't want to. Yep. And so that's another stigma of like, okay, why are you struggling with depression? Why are you struggling with anxiety? Why are you struggling with, you know, other mental health issues? issues when you're supposed to be the one that has everything together. So that's yep. another form of stigma. And I mean, we're seeing the results and the effects of that through the mental health crisis in the black community. We're seeing it, especially in our black men who have very, very high rates of suicide. We're seeing in black women, high performing black women with corporate jobs and businesses, and, You know, on the outside, it looks like everything should be perfect, but inside they're really struggling. So Sadie Baddies responds directly to that by creating comfortable and palatable conversations in otherwise very uncomfortable um, settings and environments. So, you know, we want to throw away the stigma and really invite those discussions and conversations so people remember that they're not alone.
1: Oh, I love that. And, and we're all human and we're all experiencing just different facets of our humanity, especially when we talk about the the, the effects of um, generational trauma, as well as our own lived experiences of yes. racism, microaggressions, um, sexism as women, all of those things um yeah. are burdens that, like you said, from birth. Um, we're, we're dealing with and it have to yeah. be Captain Saban's. Right? Um, right. One thing that I, I think about is how your experience in speaking to your family about things that were um, troubling you, like your anxiety. Yeah. It was very different than mine. I'm also first gen American and okay. <laughs> my family was not having that. They're like, "What? So you need to go. And you don't go to church enough. That's your problem. You don't pray enough. That is Ooh. your problem. Um yeah. And what's interesting is that my grandfather, when I was eight, we lost him to suicide. So you would wow. think, oh. yes, you would think that there would be like some sensitivity or even like some awareness that yeah. mental health struggles are real. And my mother was yeah. like, no, we're we're not doing this. Why are you going to a therapist? For what? Why are you telling her our, our business? Like, I'm like,
2: yes. yeah. um.
1: So I've shared this before. One of the first times as an adult that I really felt like an adult was when I was struggling with postpartum. And I'm like, mom, either you're going to help me with the baby when I go to therapy this pre-pandemic. So I was going to her office um, at this time every week, or I'm just going to get a babysitter, but I'm going to therapy. And that was the first time I truly asserted myself as an adult. Like you cannot tell me, you can't dictate what I'm going to do with my time. Um yeah. so I really appreciate that your parents were mm-hmm. were open and were not the, the stereotypical um parents from other places who yeah. are so closed minded. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Like how did they arrive to be so open?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for sharing that and you know, being vulnerable and sharing about your grandfather who died by suicide and I wish that you had a better experience when opening up about your own mental health journey to your family, because you deserved that, especially, mm-hmm. especially with postpartum. So I just want to see that I see you and I I appreciate your, you. you know, being open. But um, with my parents and, you know, they are devout Christians, um, <laughs> they are definitely devout Christians. I was raised Baptist, actually, and went to a Baptist church for majority of my my actually, my entire childhood mm-hmm. throughout, um, even up to age I would say 21. Mm-hmm. So, around age 21 is when I started to explore my own spirituality and my own um belief system. I literally created, like, okay, I started going to therapy around age 23 or 24, but prior to that, I was like, if I don't resonate anymore with this specific mm-hmm. um religious group or mm-hmm religious belief system, then what do I believe in? Mm -hmm. And so I started to list out what I do believe in, like, what was at the center of that was community care. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that it became my religion, but it became my purpose. And Mm. I think with that, I was able to understand that, you know, as much as I do appreciate the community that I got, you know, with being raised in a church, I Mm -hmm. also realized that that can exist without being in a specific church and, you know, going to, yeah, you know, go going to a specific place. um, And I realized how important it was to actually share how our mental health as a community and um, within different communities as well, how it's all interconnected. And that's actually what led me to be a little bit more open to talking to my parents. And so Mm. when I did share with them that, you know, I was having issues and that I couldn't sleep. I remember there was one spring in college. It was my junior year of college. And I'll never forget. I had a major panic attack at school. And my roommate actually was the only person who saw it because we were roommates. So she literally, mm. <laughs> she saw me like have this whole panic attack. And it was all because I I, I overslept. I pulled an all nighter mm. the night before for an exam. I was a biology major. Ooh. And a, with a minor in English. Yeah, I was doing too much, And <laughs> yes, yeah, I was doing way too much. But basically, I overslept because I pulled an all nighter, I missed my physics exam, which Ooh. I was already struggling with. I was literally panicking because I was like oh my god this is over for me I'm not going to be able to graduate I'm not going to be able to pass this class like I'm a failure like then like the self like Mm -hmm. berating thoughts and all of that came in and um my parents like when I spoke to them and told them what happened they were like oh my god like you are panicking like you're actually you know like it's, it's okay to be upset about something and be like you know frustrated but I was having an actual panic attack, like so Mm -hmm. much so that the next day, even I felt like my body felt sore from like shaking and everything. And so if you've been through panic attacks, you know Mm -hmm. how hard it is on your body yeah because you're you're throwing your nervous system completely out of whack yep. your cortisol levels are through the roof yeah um and so I called my parents and they actually suggested that I come home for that weekend so I went to Jersey which is where my parents live mm-hmm. and um they saw that I had like lost some weight too like unintentionally they're like are you working out a lot I'm like no mm-hmm. I'm actually not even working out they're like I'm just like I don't really eat That much because I'm just so anxious Mm -hmm. like my stomach is in knots so I don't I'm not even hungry like that that to me was like how did we not know like especially as a not 20 or 21 year old young woman I didn't know that I was going through major anxiety and I you know really should probably see someone about it because I'm having physical symptoms I'm having like you know, these panic attacks, but I'm just thinking that I'm just not good enough. Like that I immediately blamed myself. So my parents were like, they saw I was like losing weight. I just didn't look good. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. look healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, my skin was breaking out. Like I was just not at grounded at all. And, um, you know, they, they just wanted me to like have a little break for that weekend and just like take care of me. And, Um, I really appreciate them for that, for showing up for me in that way. And then, you know, fast forward a couple more years, I had another panic attack in my, actually in the car with my mom. Mm -hmm. And she pulled over and like, I don't threw up, literally, like on the side of the road, because I was, again, it was like stress related panic attacks and that's when she was like, oh, okay, like, I think you need help, you know, yeah. and I didn't really ask for help until like about a year or two later. But I remember after that experience, she realized like that I did struggle with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, through talking to to my my first therapist, I was able to unpack like some of the layers as to why I was dealing with so much anxiety and Mm -hmm. um, responding that way to high stress environments and high stress situations Mm -hmm. and it's crazy now because now I'm like I haven't had a panic attack in so long and if I do Mm -hmm. feel like anxiety creeping up I'm like oh okay let's go into my self-care toolkit yeah you know let's do some grounding like splash some cold water on your face get some air you know, yeah. do some breath work, move your body, like hug someone. Like there's so many things that I can do now to like avoid that. And it's through initially like having those experiences that were very jarring, but yeah. led me to be able to talk about my mental health in a way that made me feel like, listen, I went through it. So I know what you're going through. You're yeah. not alone. You know?
1: Yeah. yeah. That That is incredible and, and powerful. I, um, really, really, I don't know your parents, but I really appreciate them for seeing you as a person and yeah. um, maybe not understanding all of it, but understanding that their their daughter needs help and is their yeah. support, you know, that's really, really important. And just uh, creating that safe space for you to, to say, like, I don't feel great. And then yeah. also recognizing that. Um, and then I also was thinking about how, for me, therapy allowed me to get to know when, not only when I'm triggered, but when I'm getting there. And I think that is yeah. what you just described too. Um, yes. That's been one of my greatest lessons to understand what's happening in my body. I think yeah. we're not taught as children or even just, we're not taught period how to yeah. like make the mind body connection. We're taught to really yeah. push past whatever feelings yeah. that we're having physically and just keep going. And therapy has taught yeah. me to like, stop, let's check in. How do we feel? Yeah. We're not feeling great. Let's go into the toolkit. I think that is right. um, powerful. Right. It's like
2: creating a, it's, it's creating a security blanket and like a safety a safety net for yourself, you know, mm-hmm. because like what happens when you don't have that safety net, like you can go over the edge, you know? And so that's why, you know, therapy is not the end all be all. Like there's definitely some flaws with Western therapy, 1000%. I mean, Mm -hmm. we could get into medical racism and all the things, okay? Cause- Listen,
1: that's a whole nother episode.
2: Mm -hmm. Exactly, literally. But I will say that therapy definitely creates that conversation so you can start to- Mm-hmm. dig deeper and help you know pull mm-hmm. out some of those tools that you'll end up using
1: later yeah. on yeah and um in creating sadie baddies um you mentioned that community care and community has been like one of like the the pillars right that is yeah. something that i am just becoming more conscious of um about how mm. important it is to heal in community and therefore to thrive in community. Um, yeah. So can, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think step one is maybe recognizing whatever's going on with the individual and, and then step yeah. two, maybe, or maybe simultaneously, I don't know, is like finding yeah. your people.
2: Yeah. So I think it's important to distinguish between, you know, what your, your social network is like your friend group or your acquaintances or colleagues even versus your community, right? So you're mm-hmm. you the people that are closest to you, that's like your social bubble, right? Mm-hmm. The people that you talk to every day, your friends, whatever. But then outside of that is your community. It's the people, your peers, you know, maybe you've met them in real life, maybe you haven't, maybe it's just an internet connection, but it's deeply rooted, you know, in mm-hmm. in care and concern. And so it's, you know, understanding that you can practice community care without being close to someone. And one Mm -hmm. way that I would, you know, really encourage people to look at it is look at it as part of your neighborhood, right? If you live in a neighborhood, I live in Harlem, and Mm -hmm. I've lived here for about three years now. And so there are certain characters, I guess you can say, (laughs) or people within the community that I don't know personally, but I care for them. So yeah. if I see them, you know, I look out for them. If if there's someone coming into my building, my apartment building, um, there's like, you know, actually quite a few elderly people that live in my building. And I may or may not even know their name, but if mm-hmm. they need help with their groceries, I'm gonna stop what you I'm doing. Them. I'm mm-hmm. gonna help them, you know, it's and it's it's kindness, but it's also a thoughtfulness that's based in your connection to that Mm -hmm. person, you know? Mm -hmm. And so community care is about, you know, for example, if there's a snowstorm coming up or or a hurricane or whatever, asking not just, okay, do we have everything in our household for what we need? Knocking on your neighbor's door and saying, Hey, do you have everything? Do you need water? Do you need me to go to the grocery store or deliver some groceries to your door? Because, Mm -hmm you know, you may not be able to get out if that person, you know, is not able to leave their home for whatever reason. So it's practicing that consideration. And it's also being prepared in situations when it comes to how, if you're seeing someone that has a mental health crisis or a mental health emergency, that's why it's so important and so helpful and useful to have training such as mental health first aid. Um, I did a certification a couple years ago for mental health first aid, and so teaches you step by step how to respond to mental health crises that you mm. might see, like when you're out and about. And that is also a form of community care that we can yeah. practice within, you know, our neighborhoods, within our families, but you know, specifically within the communities that we're a part of. And I would say that one of the beautiful things about the internet, even though there's a lot of dark things about the internet mm. for sure. But one of the beautiful things is that we can connect with each other so deeply yeah. without having to even leave, you know, the yeah. places that we're at. So, you know, responding to a mutual aid request online that you might see, responding or even resharing somebody's posts, you know, asking for help if you are in the capacity to help them, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, supporting um, initiatives that are grassroots and based in helping helping people who really need those resources versus just kind of scrolling past it and not being engaged whatsoever that's how you can be a part of like a digital community as well so there's Mm -hmm. so many ways to practice community care and you know whether it's volunteering your time in New York it's so easy to volunteer Mm -hmm. anywhere and everywhere um, Salvation Army animal shelters even wherever Mm -hmm. but putting your time and energy into helping environments and helping, um, neighborhoods. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
2: There's so many ways to do it. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I think that is, um, something to, to really highlight because again, being in the U S where it was hyper individualistic, you know, we, we're not, Taught anymore, and not even just taught like verbally, but we don't have that many examples anymore of that community. I remember when I was a kid, um, every summer I, for years I used to go to Haiti, and that's where my family is from. Mm. And the way life is is very different. Like the the neighbor cooks, the neighbor is going to bring a, a meal over. Not that you need it, but yeah. like just because you know. Um, and that just made me think about how just in your neighborhood, if there's a storm coming or whatever, to not only look out for yourself, but to look out for other people as well. I think that's so important. And one thing that I realized that I do is whenever I'm feeling really, really down, one of the things that I'll do is I'll seek out who can I help real quick? Because for me, it's like a quick hit of dopamine, like feeling useful to somebody else. And I think, "Mm -hmm." I I don't think we, we notice, um, how good it feels just to help other people. I don't need recognition. Like just just do something to be useful to somebody else is going to be not only helpful to them, but helpful to you too, especially when you, if you're like me, whenever you get, you know, deep in your depression, you'd like to retreat from society. That's a yeah. time to like go out and, and see how yes. you can help people and whatever your interest or your talent is, like use that to to help the the community around you. And it always comes yeah. back to even if you're not looking for um exactly recognition or accolades or thanks mm-hmm. even. Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. I could not yeah. agree more.
1: Um, we touched a little bit on the isms. You said that racism and, and microaggressions, I think if I'm yeah, putting it yes. properly, are mm-hmm. in the DSM five. I did not even yes. realize that. <laughs> yes. So,
2: <laughs> yes, racial trauma, racial trauma is real. And you know, there I mean, there's there's been so much literature on this for decades, and we are just now acknowledging, oh yeah, racism and racial trauma do exist in the United States. It's like, of course, mm-hmm. no duh. Right. Of course it is, you know, like. Welcome to 2023, but racism and dealing with microaggressions has been shown to increase um, a lot of stress in Black individuals, Mm -hmm. especially in the workplace, Mm -hmm. because the workplace is is an environment where... We can't always show up as ourselves, right? A lot of times right. some of us are like masking, or you know, if we are neurodivergent, a lot of us are masking mm-hmm. and meaning like we are putting on a persona or we are not actually revealing the the true nature of our of our personality, of our habits, of our behaviors, because mm-hmm. we know that we might be judged, right? Yeah. So There's that, but there's also just being in a room and and feeling that fear of, okay, am I saying the wrong thing? Or especially if you're, you know, I would say a Black woman, I am so hyper aware of my tone because I know that if I say things in a certain way, if I respond to an email and I'm like, well per my last email, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you say things in a certain way, you come off as sassy or aggressive. And like, if you pay attention, a lot of times Black women, when we're being described in the workplace, it's our personality. It's not even the actual work that we're doing. It's, oh, this person isn't a team player. This person Mm -hmm. is aggressive in meetings. This person is a little bit too assertive. This Mm -hmm. person doesn't have a warm attitude. And it's like, why are we fixating on the attitude aspect versus the results that we provide that part in the workplace? Because isn't that why we're hired? And isn't right. that why we're here right. you know, to provide results and right. deliver? So that is something that I I've been hyper aware of. But of, of course, it causes stress, it causes um, anxiety, and it can cause um depression and isolation mm-hmm. for for folks is dealing with racial trauma. In general, but specifically Mm -hmm. in the workplace too, it just creates this added layer of disconnection and not being able to show up as our full authentic selves and take up space and not feel like we have to step on eggshells, basically.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I also think about, you mentioned earlier about how um, Black women um, are like high achieving, right? Um, Yeah, I wonder if, like generally speaking, the the extra high achievingness of our demographic, is yeah. that a response? Like, is that a response to like trauma in a way? Like
2: yeah. Yeah. I saw
1: this tweet that black women, when we get bored, we go and get another degree. And I was going to grad school. Yes, (laughs) because the worst part is I felt like that was so timely for me because I was like, maybe I should go to get my master's in public health. (laughs) And I'm just like, but what I do with it? Like, I think I was kind of bored. The kids are getting a little bit older. Let me go back to school. Um, Yeah, yeah. Do you see that um, our nature to perform at a really high level? Do you can you see that being like a manifestation of maybe anxiety or something else?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've talked to my therapist about this before and how, you know, I definitely think being an overachiever is sometimes a response to the stigma of being an underachiever. Right. Mm. Because that's that's one of the stereotypes of of black people is ironically is, oh, we are lazy Lazy. or we don't work Mm -hmm. hard or we don't do this or we don't. You know we're not pushing ourselves enough when it's like the this country the framework the fabric of this entire country owes black people so much and it will never it's Mm -hmm. it's immeasurable it's immeasurable Mm -hmm. so to say that we don't work hard is bullshit for lack of a better word it's complete bullshit and so sometimes when we are internalizing that you know that notion of oh i don't want to be seen like i'm not working hard enough so let me overwork let me work twice as hard and yep. you know there's that saying of we a lot of times have to work twice as hard to be half as yep. you know recognized or as half as good and i've i've seen that play out in real time yep. so many times and not even just within the workspace even with like you know just dealing with being if you are one of the only black people or the only um people of color in the room you can mm-hmm. feel like you have mm-hmm. to work twice as hard yep. to be noticed or yep. to have that recognition i've i've witnessed it in The people around me, my loved ones, my friends, my family, like I've seen them have to work so hard to be recognized for just a fraction of what their counterparts are recognized and rewarded for. So I do think that some of it is internalized, but I also think a lot of it is a part of our cultural upbringing as well. So if we come from immigrant backgrounds, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you and I both do, there is a pressure that like, okay, my parents came here. They sacrificed everything. I have to go twice as hard because now I have the tools and the resources they didn't. So I have yeah. no excuse. Yeah. That was yeah. definitely a thing that I struggled with. It was a burden
1: for me. Yes. Like, yes. It's a heavy, yes. heavy weight on your yes. shoulders. Like yes. you can't Absolutely. fail them because of all of their yes. sacrifices.
2: Right. Right. And that's why, you know, with first gen specifically, first gen, Folks, I want us to give ourselves so much grace because we have to understand, yes, your parents made a sacrifice. Yes, the people that brought you here, here you know, if here is whether it's Canada, mm-hmm. uh, England mm-hmm. or the United States, wherever. But if your parents immigrated and came to a new country to start a new life, yes, you can feel like you owe them all this stuff. But you are also an individual. Yeah. You also are able and capable of starting over if you need to yeah and you don't have to feel like you're constantly an extension of everything that they sacrificed because that was for survival right Mm -hmm. like that was for survival and so although I will always be you know extremely grateful for my parents making that Mm -hmm. sacrifice I also have to realize that this is a new chapter like my Mm -hmm. generation that the the, me and my Mm -hmm. siblings we have a new opportunity to Mm -hmm. create what we you know would consider to be success or what we Mm -hmm. would consider to be having peace Mm -hmm. or having a soft life right like what Mm -hmm. does that look like for you like the the soft personal Mm -hmm. right the soft life to your parents or your mom or your dad or whoever might be like okay taking a vacation once or twice a year but for us it's like having a dishwasher ordering Mm -hmm. uber eats whenever we want Mm -hmm. like you know having us having a savings that we you know just allow to build and grow for those rainy days like that could be softness to us is Mm -hmm. looking ahead to the future because we're not in that survival mode that our parents were
1: yeah oh that is that is a, a message right by itself i feel like i just like recently unpacked that and like put like took off that load like yeah. I, I don't have to wear this anymore. You know, I shouldn't have yeah. ever picked it up, but I, right. I'm putting it down for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Priscilla, you are so, um, I, I don't want to, I don't know what the word is, but like super insightful and easy to like listen to and talk to. And it has been such a thank pleasure you. talking to you. I am just so thank grateful. So I appreciate you so your
2: much. time. Love. I appreciate yeah. you. And thank you so much for having me. I love, be well sis and everything that you're doing it is amazing and so needed so thank you so much for having Thank
1: you and likewise and i will put all of her socials down below please if you're not already following go follow go listen to the podcast um all of those good things you will be um blessed for it you'll be better for it um thank (laughs) you thank you thank you thank you thanks again for listening to this episode of the be well sis podcast For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellcispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis.